Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, July 17th, 2023. On the show today, news, listener questions, and more surveys from Universal and Disney. Then in our main segment, Jim wraps up the history of the Toy Story Mania attractions around the world. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that every relationship has someone who stacks the dishwasher like a Scandinavian architect and someone with the spatial awareness of an inebriated porcupine. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's going well, Len, and, and interesting that you bring up this issue because, yes, Nancy and I have had several conversations about this over <laughs> our 26 years together. And how familiar are you with A Few Good Men, the, the play that Aaron Sorkin wrote? <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I've never seen the entire movie, but I've seen the clips. Go ahead. The character that Jack Nicholson plays, uh, Colonel Nathan Jessup. I chose to channel a piece of what Colonel Jessup said in that play at one point with Nancy and Ricard to this moment. And here's the quote. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a woman who enjoys the clean dishes that I provide. I prefer <laughs> that you just say thank you and then be on your way. Uh, coincidentally, <laughs> Len, uh, immediately after this conversation, I had to move to the front yard for a couple of days. Yeah, you know, what's it like sleeping outside in New Hampshire in the summer? Yeah. There we go. I thought you were going to go with, you want the spoons? You can't handle the spoons. <laughs> also another way to go. Jim, let's do a shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Jesse21773, Rory CB, Tinkering Bells, and Troublemaker. And longtime subscribers, CS Zuko, M. Kirachi, Dave Maruk, and R.L. Duval. Jim, these are the Disney cast members who designed the fantastic Redwood Creek Challenge Trail at Disney California Adventure. They say that the rock climbing wall, the zip line, and the slides are wonderful enrichment exercises that teach creative problem solving and have also reduced the number of guests eaten by bears to historic lows. True story. It's, it's practically zero, Jim. Practically Close enough. Zero. <laughs> There we go. You got a grade on a curve, kids. You got a grade on a curve. Exactly. All right, Jim, let's do the news. Jim, the uh, the Haunted Mansion has announced a short refurbishment. We don't normally mention these kinds of things on the show, but this one's interesting for a couple of reasons. Number one, the mansion closes August 7th and reopens to guests August 10th. Mm -hmm. And the Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party begins the next day, August 11th. And I believe there's a media event around all of this. Also, Jim... Disney's Haunted Mansion movie will be in theaters. It opens uh, this July 28th, so it'll have been in theaters for a little less than two weeks. Is this when we should expect to see the Hatbox Ghost Jim in Walt Disney World? Kim Irvine, just in the past week or so, mentioned that there was, quote-unquote, new magic coming to the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland. So huh. the load-in of Hatbox... Is a relatively easy thing. I mean, you physically have to bring the figure into the, the attraction and sure. do some quick testing and that sort of thing. But it, given that this is already working on the West Coast, it's not that big a deal. So, yes, I would bet you, especially with the media event tied to it, this is not a coincidence. On the other hand, okay. I am genuinely fascinated by what Kim teased for the West Coast. And by the way, the new magic is supposedly showing up in Anaheim in 2024. So that's probably more substantial than if it's taking that long to implement. Just in the past week, Len, we've seen the the familiar conversation start again about Southern California locals, you know, mm. to the effect of uh, the mansion is going to go down again 
to yeah. be changed out for Haunted Mansion Holiday. And it just frustrates a lot of folks who are Haunted Mansion buffs that on Halloween, they can't experience the mansion that they love. They get the Tim Burtonized version, which, by the way, has its own equally passionate fan base. So, yeah, there's a lot going on. All right, we'll see what happens in uh, in Disneyland. Uh, just a quick reminder to Imagineers: there are other attractions in in the <laughs> Disney parks besides the Haunted Mansion. I, I refer you to Carousel of Progress. Speaking of, what, I, I, did you see the the video that popped up this week on Twitter of the squirrel on stage, a live squirrel on stage? in this attraction no i completely missed this how the squirrel is on stage and the animatronic dog starts to move and squirrel like hang on <laughs> what's going on here okay <laughs> you know, it's like so the fresh hell is this <laughs> there right. we go so <laughs> that's fantastic yeah. send me the uh, send me the video i'd love to take a look at it okay we'll do also jim the uh, the portrait of dorian gray that bob Iger keeps in his attic continues to work and i mention this because Iger just got his contract extended by disney and it runs through 2026. Well, here will remain CEO. Mm. Also, uh, Jim Bob Iger was on CNBC this morning and actually talked about one of the stories that I've been involved with over the past week. Uh, and Jim, you and I mentioned before the show began that this is probably not the first time that Bob Iger had to be briefed on something I said before he went in front of the media. <laughs> anyway. Well, you know, I, I really enjoy that piece in the Wall Street Journal. One day Bob and I are going to meet, and it's, he's going to be like, you! But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Get, get ready for your, your lapels to be grabbed. Land, so. <laughs> anyway, this, uh, this particular story was uh, uh, about low wait times mm-hmm. uh, at Walt Disney World for the July 4th holiday. And so I worked with the Wall Street Journal last week to take a look at this exact question. And that article ran this past Monday, July 10th. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the thing, Jim, that I cannot believe is how many media outlets contacted me about that after the article. Like the data was featured in stories all week from CNN to Bill Mm O'Reilly. And I did interviews with people as far away as South Africa. But anyway, uh, Jim, let's go over the uh, the question Mm -hmm. and how it was answered. So the question was, were wait times really historically low on July 4th? And the Short answer is, yeah. Mm -hmm. The average wait time across the Magic Kingdom's major attractions on July 4th was around 27 minutes. It was also 27 minutes at Epcot, 25 minutes at the Animal Kingdom, and Mm -hmm. 18 minutes at Hollywood Studios. And then another way of looking at that is uh, how busy July 4th was compared to the previous 365 days, right? And this is useful because when you're comparing across years, you have to take into account things like the fact that Disney has a park reservation system in place now, which it did not have in 2019, you know, pre-pandemic. Anyway, if you look at how busy the parks were as compared to the previous 365 days, at the Magic Kingdom, it was the 275th busiest day of the past year. Epcot was 295. Animal Kingdom was 343rd, which means it was like one of the least busy three weeks in the last year. And at Hollywood Studios, it was ranked 363rd, so the second slowest day of the past year. Okay, so we we know it wasn't crowded in mm-hmm. both absolute and relative terms. Mm-hmm. The next question is why? So I pulled some historical wait time data going back to 2015 for every uh, Disney and Universal theme park in the United States. And I noticed some things. Uh, one was that the Magic Kingdom was slow last year too, as was Animal Kingdom and the studios. And the studios in the Animal Kingdom are always slow on July 4th, probably because they lack fireworks. Okay. If you look before the pandemic, like mm-hmm. from 2015 to 2019, July 4th was actually fairly popular 
for Walt Disney World. July 4th was somewhere between the 10th and 50th busiest day of the year at the Magic Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Right. So one you know, open question is, what's changed at Walt Disney World since 2019? Right. Another thing to look at was this. Like, how did other theme parks around the country do? So was it just Florida or was it theme parks in general? And this is where it gets interesting because mm-hmm. every Disney and Universal theme park in the U.S. plus SeaWorld mm-hmm. in Orlando had lower crowds in 2023 than in 2019 which tells us it's probably not isolated to Disney or to central Florida. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I look at when, when there are questions about short-term attendance is what's the weather like? Mm-hmm. And this is probably the most likely explanation for what happened in Disney World and for a lot of places around the U.S. Central mm-hmm. Florida had a heat advisory in effect on July 4th where weather services were telling people to stay indoors because the mm-hmm. heat index was going to reach 112 degrees. Hey. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and there was also the possibility of thunderstorms at night, which threatened to cancel the fireworks shows. Mm-hmm. So everything else being equal, the fact that uh, the government's telling you to stay inside and it might rain mm-hmm. probably suppressed crowds on okay. July 4th. Yeah. And, and the other supporting fact uh, for that is that the next day, Wednesday, mm-hmm. crowds were back to above average levels. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But there are also some long-term trends at play. And every time I talk to, um, to media outlets, I, you know, I want to emphasize this too. You know, we, we probably have the end of 2022's revenge travel surge, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Disney's more expensive and complicated than ever, right? Also true. Also, Tron probably doesn't have enough appeal for families to make a special trip. I usually say that, um, you know, the, anyone in the theme park industry will tell you the way that you attract guests back to your park this year mm-hmm. is by opening new rides. Disney did open one new ride. Mm-hmm. I don't know that uh, Tron is moving the needle. What do you think, Jim? I don't know if you've been paying attention. Tron Aries, the third Tron movie, is actually uh, casting. Production began later this summer. Wow. So, oh, great. You know, a, a brand new Tron movie to, to boost interest in your ride a year after or a year plus after it opens. It's like, okay, guys, really nailing the timing. Here. Timing. I want, to, I want to talk to you about timing in, in a second. So, mm-hmm. you know, going back to, uh, to the attendance thing, the Orlando Sentinel reported this week that Orange County tourism tax revenue has fallen for two straight months. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, Florida tourism in general is doing really well. And Port Canaveral in particular mm-hmm. is seeing very strong demand for cruises, including the Disney Cruise Line. Mm-hmm. So the fact that this happened uh, around Central Florida, including non-Disney things, mm-hmm. uh, makes me think it isn't necessarily related to Disney. So my, my conclusion was that the most likely explanation was weather, and Bob Iger today seems to have agreed with that okay. Uh, okay. as well. So you're welcome, Bob. But Jim, going back <laughs> to, your, to your point about, about movies, you know, there's all this talk about lately about how Disney's not doing well at the box office, which is objectively true, right? Mm-hmm. But remember when pre-pandemic... Chapek was talking about how Disney was all in on movie franchises. The idea is that once you get people interested in something like the Avengers, you could run that for years uh, and it would be less risky than coming up with entirely new franchises, which people may or may not like. And that strategy, strategy works great, right? For a while, it worked great. It does, but the part of that equation that seems to have gotten away from Disney, and this was not Disney's fault. When you think about the number of films that have come to the marketplace Mm -hmm. that were impacted by the pandemic that had additional production costs, whether it was COVID protocols on set or working on animated features from home, the costs of, of the films that Disney has made over the past 
two and three years have skyrocketed. Yeah. You know, at the same time when people, to be frank, have been reluctant to return to movie theaters. So that's been a brutal one-two punch. And so talking with folks at the studios, that is the new byword at Disney Studios right now. It's cost containment. Yeah. No, we're not making that movie for that price point. Go away and come back with a different budget. And then when you factor in just today, you and I are sitting here waiting to, to find out whether or not SAG's going out on strike. Oh, yeah. It's a tough, tough time. Every one of my uh, favorite TV series have been delayed. But, but Jim, I want to want to expand on the point that you made about the movies. So, mm-hmm. you know, Disney doesn't want to commit three hundred and fifty million dollars to Avengers movies anymore, right? No. The other thing that I thought that was interesting in this strategy was, mm-hmm. you know, the strategy of of investing in um, franchises like Star Wars and Marvel. That's mm-hmm. great as long as interest is going up. Mm-hmm in those franchises. But when interest is going down in them, if you think about how long it takes Disney to make a movie like that, four or five years. So let's say that interest had started to wane in these franchises last year, 2022. It takes four years for Disney to get out of the cycle where they could try something new because that's how long it takes it, it, to take. They can't, they can't switch mm-hmm. and say, oh, we're going to start you know, funding independent movies this year and bring them out later out later on this year right that's that the stuff in the pipeline that has already dictated their fate absolutely through 2026 right yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah and when you think about it along those terms this is an ocean liner and it takes forever yeah. to turn yeah and this is this is the opposite side of the you know, let's do everything based on IP strategy. It works until yep. it doesn't. Yep. But when it doesn't, you can't turn on a dime because mm-hmm. of the pipeline. Also, yeah. uh, one more thing: when I was uh, talking to all of these, um, <laughs> all of these outlets, I was mm-hmm. uh, you know I was talking with my internal team about mm-hmm. you know looking at the data and stuff like that. And and mm-hmm. one of our uh, one of our people, Aaron Foster, mentioned, mm-hmm. "Have you considered the impact mm-hmm. that Taylor Swift concert tickets are having?" on discretionary spending for travel. And we all laughed for a minute. And then I'm like, well, could we quantify that? So if you look at uh, Taylor Swift, she's got 131 dates. Right. And there are uh, around 50,000 people going to a, to a show. So I calculated something like 6.6 million Taylor mm-hmm. Swift tickets you know, going on sale around the world. And I think of that like 2 million are in the United States. Mm-hmm. And 2 million is not a lot in terms of like Disney attendance, which mm-hmm. is typically 50 to 60 million people a year, right? But Jim, if you uh, if you imagine a Venn diagram, right? And so imagine you've got two hands because we're going to draw two circles, mm-hmm. and one hand. I want you to like think about this. If you're okay. driving, don't take your hands off the wheel. Okay. okay. But one hand represents the circle of Taylor Swift fans. Another hand represents the demographic of, of people who plan Disney World trips. And I know from our own statistics that the largest demographic of Disney trip planners are women between the ages of 25 and 44 living on the East Coast with a household income greater than $100,000 and a college education. Now, Jim, oh. if you were to take that Venn diagram, Jim, and you were to, oh. and you were to overlay this, it's, it's one circle, Jim. It's not two circles, right? Oh, okay. And I say this in the kindest possible way. Management at Disneyland Paris, where Taylor just announced the, the tour dates for 2024. Oh, there's yeah. A, there's a world of hurt headed your way. So how much how much discretionary uh. travel 
is being impacted by Taylor Swift. Yeah, and honestly, God, Jim, and I'm 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 being disingenuous. I begged mm-hmm. the Wall Street Journal to yeah. put a picture of Taylor Swift on there with with my quote saying, "Hi, she's the problem. It's Taylor." <laughs> <laughs> And they didn't do it because uh, because they have journalism standards and I do not, Jim. Uh, <laughs> oh, Jacob, come on! You could have gone for it. Okay. I, know, I, know. I know. I'm 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 holding out hope that one of the the smaller outlets will still run with it. So uh, anyway, I've got I guess still have interviews lined up. It's amazing. Anyway, wow. all right, we've okay. got we've, we've got time for uh, for surveys, uh, Jim. Mm-hmm. So uh, Derek Ibarra sent in a universal survey. Mm-hmm. Asking about your interest in upgraded water park cabanas for Volcano Bay. And Jim, I want to get your input on this. The mm-hmm. upgraded cabana would cost just under $1,300 per day and include amenities like two Ride Now reservations, free parking, premium food, dedicated concierge staff, souvenir towels and such. Mm-hmm. But Jim, here's the thing that, here's the thing that, that interested me. Mm-hmm. A normal cabana at Disney or Universal mm-hmm. is somewhere between three and six hundred dollars a day, depending on the size of the cabana and the date on which you book it. Mm-hmm. What's the market for thirteen hundred dollar cabanas? <laughs> like who who's doing this? Once upon a time, there were the diehard Disney fans that would go to the park every three point seven five years, and that's yeah. how you know the attractions were scheduled for the park. But now, you know, that we have seen. Over the past couple of years, Disney's interest in the quote-unquote whales, the money is no object, folks. And the notion is to cater to these folks. You have to have options on the menu that are like, well, this is what we offer, the whales. Oh, oh, this is sort of like the – what was the Christmas catalog where like every year like you could buy something like a diamond-encrusted jet? Is it like the Neiman Marcus Christmas catalog? There we go. There it's we like, go. Yeah, That's yeah. the name. That's the name. All right. So, so this is so this is the uh, the the, the twelve hundred and fifty dollars cabana Universal is the is the Neiman Marcus Christmas gift. Like you yeah. know, no one's really going to buy it, but if you wanted to, it's there. More to the point, when that person shows up, you have you know this is what we do, and this is the one we reserve, and yada yada yada. So. But for those folks, are, are the souvenir towel and the souvenir tote bag really going <laughs> to seal the deal? It's like, oh, honey, look, uh, we get a free tote bag, <laughs> just like public radio. Yeah, actually, NPR, NPR missed a – have they ever done a, a promo called Nina Toten Bag? <laughs> Well, there you go. What? You have need a have, have they not? Did I just invent something? <laughs> I, I, I think you, you may have. For, for, for the top donor for the year, Nita carries you know, your, your keys and your phone around for 48 hours. All right? You know. Did I ever tell you about the time? I don't know. We're just digressing here. But did I ever tell you about the time I asked somebody from NPR Fundraising how much it would cost for a one-on-one conversation with Kai Rizdal? And they were like, you don't have that kind of money. <laughs> I remember Laurel saying, you know, Laurel literally, you know, it's not Kai Rizdal. It's literally dreamy Kai Rizdal. Dreamy Kai Rizdal, yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Anyway, if anyone from Marketplace wants to get in touch, you'd have to get in touch with me. All right, Jim, speaking of universal surveys, a number of listeners sent in the most unusual universal survey that I've seen in a long time. Have you seen Mm -hmm. this one, Jim? It's about your preferred office settings. Mm Hmm. All right, so questions were like this. How long have you worked for your company? And this is, again, this is a Universal Orlando theme park survey. Mm-hmm. How long have you worked for your company? During a typical week, how many mm-hmm. days do you work in an office? 
how do you feel about fun zones in an office? Fun zones are office spaces that typically include lounge chairs, coffee tables, and games or activities for team members. Also, there was a whole section on rate your current break area in the lounge. All right, Jim, my first question is why? What what is going on here? Is this is this one of the interns from Universal just saying like we're going to get talked about on the next Disney dish and we're going to send out this survey now? Like what what's going on here? Just want to point out something that just in the past week Universal Creative has gotten a brand new CEO, Molly Murphy. Mm-hmm. Came through the door in Ginsler. Just want to lay out a little imaginary history here that that for a time Disney offered the Imagineers to do outside projects. And, and for mm-hmm. example, the Gene Autry Museum of Western Art at the edge of the park in L.A., they designed that. So Disney had its creative services available for outside parties, and it turned into kind of a, a money pit. And I am hoping that this isn't universal. Trust me, folks, it, this didn't work for Disney the notion of, you know, let's make ourselves available for corporations who are, by the way, trying to lure employees back after they've been home during the pandemic. And Oh, okay, 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 okay. All right. I don't care how big a fun zone you make. You know, the fact that, you know, for example, my commute is literally pull on the sweatpants and walk to the kitchen table. You know, you're never getting me in an office. You're you're wearing pants for this? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, oh. I, I got, Nancy has standards. What can uh, I tell you? I didn't all know right? we were all formal here. Let me go get my monocle, Jim. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. okay. Right. No, but that's okay. So it's to get people to come back to the office. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Thank you for that. I hadn't put that together. Okay. Okay. Well, here to help. Also, uh, Jill from Cincinnati sent in the most complete version of that new Disney survey that we talked about last week that asks about changes to Genie Plus. And Jill pointed out, Jim, uh, something I missed on the original survey last week that Disney asked about offering more tier A choices if you paid extra money for it. So remember last week we had talked about mm-hmm. how Disney said, you know, the mountains in the Magic Kingdom mm-hmm. are going to be a tier A selection where you get to pick one a day. But then Disney said in the next line, hey, you know, if you want to give us more money, we'll give you another choice too. Oh, Mr. I guys. <laughs> Dear sirs, please see your previous comments on this particular topic. <laughs> All right, on to listener questions. We have, a, uh, we have a couple of them. On last week's show, we talked about the rumor that Disney World was seeing a record high number of guests using the DAZ service to access the Lightning Lane lines at certain attractions. And I mentioned that we had started counting the number of guests per hour using those lines to try and figure out what was going on. And listener Holly wrote in with a reminder, and it was this. Um, I also wanted to mention that people doing rider swap mm-hmm. also use the lightning lane, so that would inflate numbers beyond Genie Plus sales and DAS usage. So thank you for that, Excellent Holly. Point. I, I, I totally forgot about rider swap. Yeah, very good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also, Aaron wrote in to say, uh, I appreciate that you didn't jump to the assumption of system abuse as many dis- non-disabled people often do. Although mm-hmm. any DAS-type system that Disney implements has the potential for abuse, mm-hmm. it's far better to allow a small percentage of people who use it who don't need it than it would be to implement policies that inadvertently prevent people who do need it from being able to access it. That's true, right? If you have to... This is that's a great, this is Yeah, true. it's a great point. I mean, if you have to... You're going to make a mistake one way or the other because nothing's mm-hmm. perfect. Which way do you have to lean, right? No, no absolutely. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Also, Paul from Brighton, England, wrote in with this. Understandably, all the focus is steered towards the paid Genie Plus offerings, but I distinctly remember Len talking about the standard Genie service at launch needing improvements. Do you know if there's been any noticeable improvements 
to this since launch, or has Disney left it to languish? And I think, uh, Paul, I think it's safe to say that regular Genie is the redheaded stepchild of, of Disney IT. I haven't, I haven't seen Improvement 1. I haven't heard anybody talk about it. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Yeah, nothing at all. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we return, Jim continues the tale of how Disney has adapted the Toy Story Mini Ride to fit into three different theme parks. We'll be right back. All right, Jim, we had, uh, last week I think we talked mostly about the California version of Toy Story Midway Mini, right? We did. We did. Again, Imagineers Kevin Rafferty and Bob Coltrane, in order to create room for Toy Story Midway Mania that was build, being built at California Adventure, it involved removing certain structural supports from the California Streaming Coaster, not to mention laying track around an electric substation that, that powered basically that entire side of the park. So no challenge and, and nothing going on there. Absolutely but fine. This week, though, we're going to direct our attention to the East Coast, to, uh, to where the Walt Disney World version of Toy Story Midway Mania was built, and that was Disney's Hollywood Studios. And Okay, Lynn, we're just going to start with the obvious. The early 2000s were not a great time for Walt Disney World's third gate, which, by the way, up to January of 2008 was still being called Disney MGM Studios. It's always going to be MGM Studios in my part, in my heart. And for a number of us who, who have five working brain cells, you're not wrong. You know, just sort of default to the name that you learned when you were young and smart. Yeah, there you go. Let's start with the obvious. A uh, hundred years of magic. The the seventeen month long celebration that was originally supposed to get underway October first of two thousand one, uh, but that plan, for obvious reasons, got tripped up by nine eleven. And uh, forgive the turn of phrase here, but Disney MGM was supposed to be ground zero for Walt Disney World's 100 Years of Magic celebration. Oh, was that that because uh, Epcot was the center of the Millennium Celebration? That's it, exactly. So Everyone got a turn, okay. Yeah, Yeah. in much the way that the the Mickey arm over uh, Spaceship Earth was the icon for that celebration. We got the 122-foot-tall Sorcerer Mickey hat at the end of Hollywood Boulevard which blocked the view of Chinese theater, and we're not going to get into that. Though, watching how Disney's marketing team just could not settle on an icon for yeah. Disney MGM. I mean, think about it. Park first opens in 89. It's the Earful Tower. Then at some point, it shifts to the Chinese theater. Yeah, which no one recognized as, a, as an icon. Yeah. So, okay, July of 1994, Twilight Zone Tower of Terror opens better part of a decade that's the park's icon sure. then as we mentioned we have our sorcerer mickey hat that comes online september of 2001 that stays the park's icon for the yeah. better part of a decade and then it shifts back to tower now tower yeah. is pretty much the default icon at this point right mm-hmm. yeah i think so yeah it's what it's what we use yeah okay but here's the thing in short order in the early 2000s a lot of things that made Disney MGM a working studio fade from view. Uh, November 2003, much of Residential Street gets torn down to make room for the 500-seat arena for Lights, Motor Action, Extreme Stunt Show. Then, just three months later, uh, January 2004, it's announced that Walt Disney Feature Animation Florida would be closing, putting 250 artists and animators out of work. Mm. And then, when you consider that in the same window of time, Disney's 20-year deal to license the MGM name and Mm -hmm. logo 
for, uh, you know, using that, that fabled movie studio's cachet, so to speak, to add a, an air of legitimacy to Disney World's third gate. Remember, back in 87, this was supposed to be a, a working movie and television production facility and a theme park. But right now, Disney knows that deal is going to expire in late 2007, early 2008. Jim, what I'm hearing here is this. Once Disney crossed Estelle Getty <laughs> by getting rid of the Golden Girls home on the Studio Beckler tour, everything went to hell. Is that is that the synopsis of what you just said? I actually like that scenario. So, you know, yes, <laughs> okay, let's you know get that? that conspiracy theory going. <laughs> All right. Go ahead, continue with your story then. All right. Just a little aside here. We're going to... Put a note in the margins. Go ahead. There we go. All right. Uh, anyway, with so many of the attractions that made Disney am truly unique now gone, and with the mm -hmm. name that the public so long associated with the Disney World 13 tech park about to be stripped away. Right. Imagine you're like, what? What now gives this park an identity? What gives guests a compelling reason to visit the studios? And this really became a problem then in, in May of 2005 when the stateside version of Lights, Motor, Action opened and did not move the needle. It no, just wasn't enough to get people in that park. Thankfully, January 2006, word comes down from Burbank that the Disney company is going to buy Pixar Animation Studios for $7.4 billion. And along with this purchase comes a brand new set of marching orders for the Imagineers, which is basically find as many ways as possible to cram Pixar IP into the parks. And folks at the still named Disney MGM take this directive and run with it. Their thinking is, well, look, center of the park, Mickey Avenue, uh, which at this point only has one attraction on it with the then fading who wants to be a millionaire play it. Yeah. So if they take this part of the park and turn it into a section that celebrates Pixar, well, that would then give the studios a way to differentiate itself from the Magic Kingdom or Epcot or Animal Kingdom. Come here if you want Pixar. That would be great if it was contained in just one park. Well, no, no, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Because I, I have a little problem with this plan because, yeah, tough to be a bug. Open at Animal Kingdom, April of 1998. Buzz yeah. Lightyear, Space Ranger Spin opens uh, Magic Kingdom November of that very same year. And then Total Talk with Crush has already opened uh, over in, in Epcot's Living Seeds Pavilion, November of 2004. So as you mentioned, the Pixar has already spread around Florida. But MGM's response is, yeah, 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 yeah. Individual attractions, though. If you want to talk about Pixar-themed land, a place where you can visit the Pixar characters, this place will be at the studios. And, and of course, it didn't hurt that Disney MGM managers already knew that Toy Story Midway Mania was already in development for Disney California Adventure, and they knew if they shoehorned a clone of that attraction in the Soundside 1 and 2 on Mickey Avenue, all they needed to do was shut down Who Wants to Be a Millionaire Play It, which, as we mentioned on last week's show, they did at great speed. That closed August 19, 2006, six weeks before the start of the new fiscal year, and mm. a full four months before the company revealed that either version of Toy Story Mania was in the works. That plan gets announced December of 2006. July of 2007, Mickey Avenue disappears behind a construction wall, so it begins its conversion into Pixar Place. Mm -hmm. And speaking of conversions, August 9th of the same year, the company reveals as of January 7th, 2008, Disney MGM Studios theme park will be rebranded as Disney's Hollywood Studios. Again, just a quick side note here. 
Not an inexpensive thing to do, Len. Oh, sure. Recently found out that between changing all of the highway signs on property and off, all of the letterhead, all the business cards, all of the costumes with the old mm. Disney MGM logo. The signage. Oh, yeah. The company reportedly spent more than $10 million on this name change. So... Mm. But at the same time, what frustrates the folks at now Disney's Hollywood Studios is the other parks that are now horning in on their Pixar action. Uh, case in point, Epcot's Living Seas Pavilion, as of January 4th, 2007, yeah. becomes the seas with Nemo and friends. It, and this is the thing that drove me crazy because I remember walking Hollywood Studios or MGM Studios with you. Mm-hmm. prior to this change and yep. you saying okay you know this is where pixar is going to live mm-hmm. i'm like yeah that's great but mm-hmm. who is the person high up enough in the disney company to enforce that across <laughs> all the parks in walt disney world because mm-hmm. i didn't think that they had the institutional will to stick with that plan mm-hmm. when attendance at the other parks dropped you're not wrong you're not wrong and more to the point given how theme park attractions are financed with the notion of they have to depreciate over decades for one park to become unquote quote unquote the pixar park at walt disney world i mean we're, we're years away from if that is ever going to happen but all right mm. uh to get back to the florida version of toy story midway mania especially with things like you know, the season with nemo friends how do we make this different how do we make this special and do you remember this promotional stunt land where on the very same day that the florida version of midway manny opens that's that's may 31st 2008 disney arranged to have a 12 inch tall buzz lightyear action figure sent into space aboard the space shuttle i didn't remember that man yeah okay this toy goes up to the international space station and they they feature the footage they show the toy in the international space station as part of the press event it then stays up there for 15 months. And when it comes back down, well, well, first of all, again, Disney doesn't miss a trick. So 2008 is, of course, the year of a million dreams at Walt Disney World. And so they explain that Buzz has always really wanted to go into space. So we made this happen for the 12 engine action figure. And then awesome. f- 15 months later, October of 2009, he comes back down to earth and, and they arrange for a ticker tape parade for Buzz at the Magic Kingdom, but that's not good enough for Disney. So they have this 12-inch action figure, you know, carried through the park by the real Buzz Aldrin. <laughs> so, that's fantastic. You know, not to miss a trick, they have Buzz Aldrin take the action figure on Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger spin, and then they take him over to Epcot and put him on Mission Space, and, you know, all of these photos go around the world. But anyway, back to the Florida version of Toy Story Midway Mania. Hit straight out of the box, uh, yep. as is Woody's shooting, a picture shooting gallery, which is just across the way. I think, honestly, it was the best uh, photo op thing I've ever seen on Disney property. This is the one across the walkway in the uh, in the brick building where uh, Edna Mode is now. It's, yes, um, yes. In fact, I would argue it's a really, uh, Edna Mode, don't get me wrong, I know people, there are people who love Edna Mode, but it's a really poor substitute for what was there. I mean... The queue was filled. I mean, as you're making your way to the actual photo spot, which, by the way, you got your picture taken with Woody and Buzz. Wow, a twofer. All right. But you passed all these photo drops that were 
Toy Story specific. I mean, they, they you could get your picture taken, you know, while you're waiting in line, you know, whip out your phone and, okay, I'm now in Stinky Pete's box. I'm now in the claw machine from Pizza Planet with the three-eyed aliens. I'm, hmm. I'm now even inside of the upside-down milk crate in Sid's bedroom. And, and all of that leading up to the final really for real photo op where you are standing on a supersized version of Andy's bed with Woody and Buzz. I mean, it was this great, great photo thing. Anyway, Pixar Place is such a hit that two months after this new land opens at Disney's Hollywood Studios, plans are revealed to expand this part of the park. Now, mind you, they're revealed by accident. To this day, they don't know who did it. But this mm. is July of 2008, and folks who are working the third shift at Walt Disney World, when they go on the cast portal to check in or update their you know medical yeah. insurance or that sort of thing, there's a video there. And if you access the video, it shows you the plans for the Monsters, Inc. coaster. The thing that I remember about this, Jim, is this is when cell phones started to get decent cameras. Because I think the way that I learned about this was a cast mm -hmm. member filming this thing on the cast member portal and sending it to me through their phone. Yep. Doug. Yeah. It was only up there for, I'd say, eight hours, maybe as long as 12, because yeah. it had been uploaded by accident on the West Coast, and it took till uh, an employee got in out in Burbank to shut it down. <laughs> but yeah, people knew that the empty soundstage at the end of the street was where this door coaster was going to go but it turns out it had been uploaded by accident it was this project wasn't supposed to reveal to october of that same year but by october of 2008 that's when the financial correction is happening and the u.s yeah. housing market collapsed and how many projects did we lose during that period i mean things like hyperion wharf i was going to say the, the yeah. wasn't there an entire redo of uh, downtown disney that was supposed uh, to happen that yeah. just like yeah, so... Uh, Faded into oblivion, yeah. Yeah, wow. so anyway, that never happens. Nope. That said, Toy Story Midway Mania is still so ridiculously popular that it's one of these things where it's like, we have to expand this. So in March of 2015, they announced that they're going to take that empty soundstage at the end of the street and they're going to put mm -hmm. a third track in. For it was the, the, yeah. the attraction was that popular that they had to explain, yeah. expand capacity. I have looked over all of Disneyland history, and the only other time that I've seen the company do this, the first Autopia opens at Disneyland in 1955. So popular with kids, they create, suddenly there's a Tomorrowland Autopia, and there's mm -hmm. a Fantasyland Autopia. And then, because that the lines of kids are so long, and more to the point, there are kids who are just not tall enough to do the Autopia, they create the midget Autopia. And so for a short time, and I want to say this is, you know, the three of them operate in the park till 65 or thereabouts, and then the midget Autopia closes to make room for it's a small world. But uh, mm. that's the only time previously that Disney has done this sort of thing. Interesting. Anyway, third track of Toy Story Midway Mania opens May of 2016. But even now, Disney knows that in Florida, the Toy Story characters are so popular, they have to expand even through further. And so as part of the, you know, hell, if we're going to spend the money, at, you know, to, to do Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, let's take advantage of you know, the amount of construction we're going to do. And they decide what they're going to do is keep 
the three versions of Toy Story Midway Mania in place, but they're just going to pivot where the entrance is. They're going to the right, back side of yeah. the building, which will now face into a true Toy Story land. In fact, the new entrance complex will be basically across the way from Slinky Dog Dash. And that's where it is today, yeah. Yeah, that opens in July of 2018. In fact, what's kind of a sad little bend on the story is that Pixar Place, at least for the first week or so that Toy Story land is open, is used as the overflow queue. Uh. They send the guests down there and they get to look at Woody's uh, picture shooting gallery. But there is a, a, a happy ending to the story, Len. Just uh, back on May 13th of this year, mm -hmm. Pixar Place is back. It's been reinvented largely as an incredible themed area, though if you, yeah. you go down there, you do see Sully. Mind you, he doesn't have a coaster, but you get monsters and characters. But that's kind of how our Toy Story Midway Mania story has ended. Though I do want to point out that when they initially announced this project way back in 2006, 2007, mm -hmm. there was all this talk about, you know, what's great about these video-based attractions is we can do seasonal overlays. We can do yeah. a Halloween version, a Christmas version. And yeah, I mean, they added, you know, in fact, they pulled out the Bo Peep balloon pop and put in the, the Trixie and Rex dart game, but that's it. Yeah, and, and it, really, it really has not uh, uh, gotten the updates that, that we would have expected. Yeah, no, uh, no. A video-based thing to, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great idea, seasonal overlays. I mean, the same thing with Star Tours, any simulator-based ride, mm -hmm. Sora and things like that. We tend to get an update once a decade or so, if that. Supposedly Star Tours next year is, is getting new ride films that key off of the Mandalorian and that sort of thing. But I yeah, get, those are just segments though. That's not uh, it's not a, a I yeah. get that. So no disrespect to Kim Irvine. Yes. And I love you're putting new magic in the mansion, but, but across the way, Toy Story Midway Mania, come on, a little love. Yeah. The thing is too, I mean, new games though, aren't going to uh, drive attendance. Let me ask you this, this question though, Jim. Mm -hmm. um, if you think about Hollywood studios, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. You've, You've got that Toy Story Land area, and they just opened up the uh, Ronda Burdio Barbecue restaurant, yep. mm -hmm. you know, there as well. There's still some space for expansion north and east of Toy Story Land that would involve, I think there's getting rid of some like cast member um, buildings mm -hmm. behind the scenes, but also, I, I gotta say, Animation Courtyard is not being heavily used right now. Do you think that uh, there's the possibility of Toy Story Land being expanded over time? It's a two-step plan. I mean, if you think about you know, the number of guests that have to, when they walk all the way down to Tower of Terror or yeah. Rock and Roller Coaster or the Cars Racing Academy and then have to, it's a cul-de-sac. You got to walk all the way back. On the other hand, if you were to tear down the old Magic of Disney Animation building and proceed through those backstage areas and create yeah. a pass-through space. I mean, yes, you could put attractions back there. More to the point, you could allow guests to continue back into the heart of the park without retracing their steps. And I have heard numerous times this is where they wanted to move that Monsters, Inc. stuff. It would totally make sense there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it's Walt Disney World and every park gets a turn. And yeah. when you think about <laughs> the damn near billion dollars that was spent adding uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and Toy Story Land to that park, 
yeah. we are a while yet before we will see attention pivot back to that park. So yeah, I think it's got to be uh, Animal Kingdom, Epcot, Magic Kingdom Studios again, but we'll see. Yeah, well, I, I, you're not wrong. So all right, but at least they, uh, at least there's an idea. There's an idea. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support our show and Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. And our email for tech support at Bandcamp is support at Bandcamp.com. On next week's show, we're celebrating the release of the Barbie movie, as Jim tells us about the magical world of Barbie show that was once presented at Epcot. I'm sure Jim's going to give that show 110%. Uh, <laughs> much you. Pink, so much. <laughs> you can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me, Len, at TouringPlans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be debuting a new song titled There's a Bison in My Boot when he opens for vocalist Kaylin Beasley at the 2023 Yellowstone Songwriter Festival on Thursday, September 7th at 7 p.m. at the Cody Auditorium on Beck Avenue in beautiful downtown Cody, Wyoming. While Aaron's doing that, please go on to iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.